Hello and welcome to another episode of the Paddock Pass podcast. With me today is Neil Morrison of uh, variously of Crash.net and Road Racing uh, World and a myriad of other uh, publications and media outlets. How are you, uh, Neil? I believe it is uh, horribly hot and sweaty there in Barcelona. Yeah, exactly. The, the heat hasn't relented since uh, since the Grand Prix in Barcelona two weeks ago. Still as hot and sticky as ever. So uh, I've had to turn my fan down for this uh, this podcast. So apologies. So you're sitting there with your with your shirt open, uh, chest hair all uh, uh, in the breeze. Exactly. Apologies yeah. if there's a big sweaty uh, pus staring right back at you on Skype here. <laughs> I shall. Uh, I shall manage. Um, I think I should tell our uh, uh, tell our listeners that um, Neil was delighted to be in Assen because it was uh, actually cold, and he was standing outside in his shirt, lapping up the fact that he wasn't. Um, he could actually stand outside without sweating a lot. Um, An Irishman isn't made for these temperatures, Dave. I'll tell you, I'll tell you that <laughs> with some. Uh, some assurance <laughs> that's right that's right yes you only get a heat wave once every decade or so there um well Assen, we uh, mentioned it briefly uh, a moment ago um uh, we were both in Assen, staying in a rather lovely house uh, not for just north of uh, north of Assen, just south of Groningen. um it was uh, an absolutely fantastic weekend of racing uh, three races um, all three of them were absolutely superb. Obviously, the weekend's uh, schedule was was changed around a little because of um, uh, the, the, some people insisted on riding on driving cars in Azerbaijan, and that meant that the MotoGP race was before the Moto2 race. And for once in our lives, uh, we actually regretted that because the Moto2 race was even absolutely fantastic and went down to the final lap. So, um, but we have to talk about the MotoGP race first and. Um, the really the only way you can talk about it is to talk about the winner, uh, Valentino Rossi. Um, win number one hundred and fifteen, win number ten at Assen. What can you say about um, what can you say about the, the weekend and the race? Yeah, what can we say about Valentino Rossi that hasn't been said a hundred thousand times before? I'm, I'm really uh, running running low on new ways to to sort of praise him to throw praise his way. But uh, you know, Sunday's race was another demonstration that uh, that on occasion he still has that absolute uh, magic uh, that can just light up a race. Um, and you'd have to say that Sunday's performance just everything considered with the rain um, with the incessant pressure from behind um, you know with the fact that one mistake could really have effectively ended this championship um, you know it was just a a really f fantastic race from Rossi um, and a performance that I think ranks among some of his very very best yeah absolutely I mean he he didn't really go into the weekend um, uh, as a favorite although you know it's Assen so you know there's going to be something a little bit special but uh we had a dry session of practice on Friday and then uh Saturday the rain came and that completely threw uh, threw uh, a spanner into the works for everywhere uh, for everyone and Rossi was there or thereabouts on um, on Friday but he wasn't really um, uh, exceptional it was his teammate Maverick Vinales who was uh, uh, absolutely killing it during um, uh, on Friday practice during the dry practice um, um, then along came uh, Saturday and qualifying, and that threw a real spanner in works. Um, there were those who w went well in the drives, and, and and those who suffered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the, the um, I think you know the, the weather really played into Rossi's hands in some respects because um, 
by the end of Friday, it looked as though the Yamahas were the only package that was relatively sorted for the race. Um, the Ducatis and the Hondas um, were talking about you know different issues. Marquez was talking about his bike being very uh, unstable, unstable through um, some of the faster parts of the track. Um, Davizio said you know it was quite difficult to change direction to turn, um, and you know the kind of um, in variation of essence long curves um, and then basically with, with qualifying Maverick just had no feeling on, on the Saturday afternoon qualified abysmally uh, down in 11th uh, Rossi was fourth, and um, because there was rain again on Sunday morning, um, it sort of deprived you know the Honda guys, the Ducati guys, the opportunity to test a few other uh, things in the dry. And you have to say that really played into Rossi's hands because he was able to to take you know to go into the not the lead but be in the the, the front group in the early laps. Maverick, on the other hand, was caught in a huge dice for fifth place. And uh, just as he made his way to the front of that, he had some clear space. He had, I think, three seconds in front of him and was just a bit overeager to uh, to make his way to the front. And um, yeah, it uh, really worked into, into Valentino's favour because um, you would have to say even the, you know, the kind of speed that he was showing in the form that he was in, um, even if Maverick had started up along with him, um, there was no guarantees that Maverick would have, would have overcame him, I think. No, absolutely. I mean, uh, Rossi was clearly, um, you know, he, he was clearly in the form of in the form of his life. He was clearly very, very quick there. I mean, he managed the race from uh, from start to finish. Uh, one factor I think we need to talk about was the the fact that uh, they had the. Uh, New chassis, well, is it a new chassis? Uh, we well, we shall we shall come back to that. But anyway, he had a different chassis, the chassis they tested at um, uh, at Barcelona, but specifically on the Tuesday um, after Barcelona, um, they tried that out and uh, uh, and really liked it. It helped. He said, uh, Rossi said that uh, it helped with turning. It was a lot better in turning, and and it solved the problem which. Um, uh, which they've been struggling with for most of this uh, season so far. Uh, Maverick, on the other hand, was being terrifically uh, difficult and secretive about uh, uh, about the chassis which they'd ch- uh, chosen. He wouldn't tell us what uh, chassis he was using. Um, he was also quite positive about it, I think, on Thursday when we asked him about it. Um, but uh, he was uh, he was fussing about it uh, ever so much. Um, that seemed to solve Valentino's problems. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, we heard really from uh, from the preseason testing right the way through the first couple of races uh, that he just couldn't enter corners as he likes to. Um, he said he was losing out whenever he was transitioning from breaking into the, you know, turning into the corner. Um, and that's an area that he's always been strong on the bricks and he just didn't quite have that. Um, and, you know, it, yeah, he's kind of made a bit of a fuss about it and then proceeded throughout the, the, the weekend at Aston to say how wonderful it was and how, how big a difference it had made. Um, whereas you got the impression that Maverick maybe wasn't feeling as positively about it and, and still um, had a hankering for the, the, the chassis that he had been using in the first seven races of the year, which, you know, um, Hareth and Catalonia side had proved, you know, a pretty, pretty fantastic combination. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's also a, a difference in terms of their riding styles because uh, Vinales, especially on the Suzuki, he learned to do all of his braking in a straight line and then throw the cor- throw the bike into the corner at, uh, at high speed. Very similar in a very similar style to uh, Lorenzo, really. Um, while 
uh, Rossi has always been uh, 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 someone who breaks later and 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 holds the brakes more in you know deeper into the corner, trail breaks here, uh, deep into the corner and, and towards the apex. So th- those are two very different sort of the two two very different styles and, and require two very different sort of a, uh, chassis sort of philosophies as well. Uh, and so I think it's uh, they've actually moved the chassis uh, chassis philosophy a little bit further back. There are those. Uh, uh, people in the paddock who are convinced that this is not a new chassis this is actually just the 2016 chassis um whether that's true or not i don't know i mean you're never going to get a straight answer from anyone about uh, about it but it's uh it's certainly a fascinating idea about it um was it at uh, was it at Aston where um or was it at no it's at barcelona it was the barcelona test where um uh maverick made the comment or where, where valentina made the comments about maverick not knowing what a yamaha is supposed to feel like yeah exactly and a yamaha has a very specific means or you know it has very specific characteristics which you know, it, it likes to follow. It has a philosophy as such, um, how they like to design their bikes. And, uh, yeah, you have to feel that, y- you know, it's, it's, you have to think that part of this is Valentino making a power play um, in that Yamaha garage and trying to say to the engineers, like, look, whenever you follow my direction, this is what happens. And he said that basically through preseason, Maverick was so fast everywhere that basically Yamaha thought, okay, well, Look, look at how quick he's going. It can't be that bad, you know. So therefore, he was almost, you know, his um, his feedback was being followed more perhaps than Valentino's. Um, and I think, you know, Yamaha have to approach this very delicately because, you know, the, the 2017 chassis that they were using in the first um, seven races of this year obviously had some fantastic points. Um, but it's just that in certain conditions, it was diabolical, you know, and couldn't react to low grip uh, high temperature sort of situations um so they can and then there was also you know rossi trying to push it in one direction do they want to upset the apple cart with maverick and so on and so forth um yeah so it's very interesting um you know i do think that um that maybe valentino is making a more of you know a bigger deal of this than than what it really is um just so he can almost say that look this is what happens when you follow me. I'm back to winning ways, and I was right all along. Does this mark, if you like, the uh, uh, official end of the uh, truce and the start of uh, the start of hostilities in the Movistar Yamaha garage? I don't know. It's, it's difficult to say. I think you know more will become clear um, in the coming weeks. Um, but I mean, you and I were talking about this over the weekend several times. David Maverick has just worn an expression of. You know, I'm sick of this. I'm I'm not happy. I'm fed up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ever since exasperation, uh, yeah, exas- yeah, yes, yeah, yeah complete ever, exasperation. Ever, ever since he arrived, you know, ever since Friday at uh, in Barcelona, he's had the same sort of, um, you know, this is this is ridiculous. I don't know what's happening. I'm the fastest man here, and why am I not leading <laughs> the practice session? Or yeah, exactly. Race, you know? but, but he said something very interesting on I. Th- think on friday or saturday i think on saturday about uh, if we have another result like that you know i won't have very much motivation which is a remarkably odd thing for a man to say uh for a man who was leading the championship to say at that particular time uh, moment in time you know he's worked all of his entire life towards winning a championship and then to be mumbling about motivation is uh, seems a little odd yeah, exactly. I'm not sure whether that was just something that was slightly lost in translation, but yeah, it was kind of giving the impression that basically it's just uh, it's peeving him off quite a bit, quite substantially. Mm. Um, but yes, maybe not this, maybe not the wisest thing to say. 
coming back to uh, Rossi and uh, and winning the race, um, it was just a remarkable performance. Very very calm throughout the race, for, for a lot of challenges, uh, but also nearly got um, uh, nearly got cleaned out by uh, Joan Zarco, who tried to uh, stick a pass where there wasn't really enough place for it to uh, uh, for it to actually pull it off. Um, uh, and according to Danilo Petrucci, um, Valentino was very lucky to actually win because uh, there was a little bit of a there was a little bit of uh, interference on the on the final lap because the it started raining a little bit or there there were there was some spots of rain and then a little bit of heavier rain towards the end of the race and the lap times were coming up and down um uh, were going up and down like a like a yo-yo uh, there were riders who were pushing and riders who weren't pushing and there were a lot of riders who ended up um uh, as backmarkers um Rossi and Petrucci ended up uh, coming across first Hector Barbara and then later Alex Rince and that uh, uh, that could have um well, according to Danilo Petrucci, um, it uh, it got in the way. What did you? Uh, what do you think of, of Danilo Petrucci's uh, performance, especially you know his second podium in what three races? Yeah, second podium in three races. Um, his second front row start in in two races as well. Um, yeah, he's just been uh, he's just been phenomenal, really. Um, yes, since uh, you know the first couple of the races of uh, of two thousand and seventeen. He obviously is on a, a GP17 like Davizio's on, like Lorenzo. But uh, you know, the first few races, it seemed that his bike was a bit of a you know a test bed for for Ducati, you know, for different ideas, different setups, and um, yeah, and and he, he kind of spoke of the lack of testing time that he had over the preseason, just because he was being asked to test such a variety of different things and setups that it was almost. It was almost as though he wasn't able to to fine tune his own base setting, um, and and yeah, he's just really come into his own. Um, I, I, you know, I always thought Patricia was a very very good rider indeed, um, but uh, but for him to have fought, um, you know, for a podium at Mugello at his home race was was really something. And then you know to finish second here, um, just back of Rossi, and to, to be genuinely disappointed afterwards oh um, yeah he was, he was deeply frustrated yeah. in the um, um, uh, in the press conference room afterwards I mean after the press conference he sort of sat down and he had a face like thunder really um, uh, <laughs> yeah, he was exactly. uh, he was he looks positively miserable yeah. despite the fact that he'd just uh, that he just had his second MotoGP podium yeah yeah Knocked off, I think is how you would uh, how you describe it. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, it was it was brilliant. It was brilliant for Petrucci. But um, I think even higher praise uh, has to go to Rossi because Petrucci effectively has nothing to lose, yeah. and you know he's always known to be a brave guy and a brave rider. But for Rossi to to continue to forge ahead whenever the rim was falling, I mean we were in the press room and it was just so incredibly tense. It was a tense race as it was when it was in fully dry conditions, and then when the rain arrived. It was just another level of uh, of heart in the mouth kind of action, um, especially considering Assen. Um, you know, it's a track that contains a multitude of very fast, scary corners, even in the dry conditions. You know, um, and for Rossi to basically put it all on the line uh, and, and to risk it all was uh, yeah, was something to behold. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I was uh, uh, yesterday. I watched the last uh, the, the last couple of laps, sort of a couple of times from different uh, from different camera angles and stuff, and also from there from the helicopter. And um, it looked like Petrucci because Petrucci claimed afterwards that basically, if Alex Rins hadn't got in the way, he could have um, uh, he could have chased Rossi down and caught him. Uh, but to me, it looked more like he lost more ground passing by, uh, uh, Hector Barbara than uh, than Alex Rins, and it really looked like the gap was just too much from uh, from that that moment so I can't really see where he would have made the uh, made, made the ground up because uh, yeah Rossi was controlling that last lap just superbly yeah he was he was definitely although I can see Danilo's point because I think um, they caught Alex Rins Rossi caught him on the back straight or maybe maybe even just before the back straight and Rins didn't uh, didn't pick up to allow Petrucci through so he then had to lunge into the, the kind of like a right left fast chicane at the end of the, the back straight. The Ruskin hook. The Ruskin hook. Thank you for That's that. That's the one. And, uh, you know, Petrucci had to make a, a bit of a lunge on the left into that and actually pushed Rins off track. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think if he, he feels anyway that if he had just taken a normal line and didn't have to make a dive, which effectively sacrificed his, his drive coming onto that corner, um, you know, he, he's pretty confident that, uh, that he would have been a good deal closer coming towards the last chicane. And he, he was, it was just a matter of hundreds of a second. I think it was 0 0.06 uh, that Rossi's winning advantage at the end of it. So, uh, yeah, very fine margins indeed. Um, but, uh, but yes, even I think uh, when, once the dust has settled, um, Danilo will think that, uh, you know, this hasn't just been a one-off. You know, I think the fact that he's... Um, fought fought it out with uh, with the very best in the dry Mugello. You know, you you kind of have to fancy that uh, that his day will come maybe this year. Yeah, absolutely. Also, because the you know the places where he uh, the, the places where he was competitive were uh, Mugello and Assen, and they're two real riders track uh, rider tracks. You know, they 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 are. Uh, the the tracks where the rider makes the difference and can make a difference. So um, uh, it's not about um, you know superior ma machinery. Perhaps they, perhaps he had a little bit of an advantage at uh, uh, Magella with the top speed, but um, top speed doesn't help that much at, um, uh, at Aston. It's much more about actually getting um, uh, being be able to get the bike turn and. To an extent, that's one thing which is quite interesting about Ducati at Assen is that they uh, did so well because you know Petrucci gets on the podium, uh, Dovizioso was battling for the podium right to the uh, right to the final lap before he decided to settle for points and um, uh, and took fifth behind behind two Hondas. Um, but neither of those two really looked like they were in any trouble uh, at all through the race. They just uh, both looked very strong. They were both them um, managing extremely well through the fast uh, fast. Corners, they were both uh, both extremely competitive. Yeah, yeah, and we spoke to Davizioso afterwards, and um, it was really interesting what he said after the race in Le Mans, uh, because there he finished fourth, and he said, "Yeah, you, you know, fourth is a, a fantastic position, but really, what we have to what we have to measure ourselves against or with is our is our performance, you know." And I think in Le Mans, yes, he was fourth, but there was quite a far way off, uh, you know, uh, Vinales and, and, and uh, Zarco and Rossi in that race. Uh, and Assen, he was just delighted with the fact that uh, he was in that second group fighting early on. And uh, and then he was, I think, for several laps, the fastest guy in track by quite some margin. He was, you know, taking a quarter of a second, third of a second out of the leading group for, uh, you know, for several laps. And then managed to get his way all the way up to the leading group. Um, and that is what pleased him most, um, because Aston's never been one of the Vizio's strongest tracks. He'll kind of admit that. Um, and, uh, you know, here was another time where he... 
came to a track where Ducati hasn't always had the best record and uh, and he performed well and you know also had the small matter of leaving Assen in the championship lead the first time he's ever led a MotoGP championship uh, the first time he's, he's led a championship in 10 years and 11 months <laughs> and the first time Ducati has led a championship since uh, since the, the spring of 2009 yeah I mean truly remarkable also a remarkable transformation I, I sort of wonder because Ducati and especially Gigi Delinia, um has a reputation for um, uh, uh, choosing riders uh, based on, or well, supporting riders, uh, giving riders in the Ducati stable a particular role. And basically, if you're winning, then you get um, all the support and help that you need. And if you're not being successful, then you get um, uh, then you get a bunch of parts thrown at you and told to get on with testing. Um, and so I sort of wonder if uh, now that Petrucci um, has proved himself to be uh, competitive, whether he's being uh, given you know more time to actually just work on setup and uh, and racing the bike along with Dovizioso, because obviously Dovizioso has been competitive. I mean, you know, he won he's won the last two races, so not so bad. Um, uh, and perhaps um, uh, Mr. Lorenzo is being told to well, first of all, he's being told to book his ideas up, and secondly, he's been uh, given a bunch of uh, d- d- stuff to test to try this and tell us if it's any good and if it is we'll give it to Anna to, to Dovi and uh, Dovi and Danilo which will um, sh- well which is unlikely to delight him <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah yeah but uh, but yeah it was it was really interesting because we saw the two sort of faces of Davizioso in that race we saw him making great headway towards the leading group and then we saw the sort of you know the, the Davizioso that we all know you know the sort of thinking man in the closing laps where Marquez and Crutchlow were just knocking numbs out of each other and Dovi was right there really close but obviously had seen Vinales crash out in front of him knew the situation and just thought okay fifth place that'll do quite nicely yeah exactly I mean he was he said afterwards uh, something about you know the, the fastest riders the, the the top riders the riders who are rushing for a championship they're always thinking about the championship even you know, it, it, when you're thinking in terms of taking a risk or not then you have to uh, decide whether the risk is going to be worth it and uh, these conditions uh, where a grip was not quite I mean it was I suppose grip was about sort of 98% or something which is um, very good but not quite enough to be completely reliable so uh, uh, it was it, it was too much risk to uh, too much risk to get get on the podium uh, and he certainly wouldn't have been leading the championship going away leading the championship there's uh, a lot to be said for that absolutely yeah for sure well, that was the, uh, the the first two men on the podium and the championship leader. Uh, we shall take a quick break now. And when we come back, we shall talk about uh, the last man on the uh, podium and the uh, little bit of Honda into Nissan battle uh, that we had for that. Hey, guys, Jensen here. Just a quick message to make sure you're following the show on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash paddockpasspodcast. All right, now back to the show. Uh, 
and welcome back for part two. Now, we talked about the uh, Yamahas and the Ducatis. Uh, I think we have to talk about the Hondas next because we saw a uh, absolutely fantastic battle for the uh, uh, final spot on the podium um, and rather contrasting fortunes because Mark Marquez got off to a an absolutely superb start and was uh, battling in the front group um, uh, for the first sort of, you know, what, half to uh, half three quarters of the race but he found himself contending with Cal Crutchlow who had um, well like David Chioso got off to a, a, a really a, a slightly weaker start and uh, had to fight his way forward um, uh, as once the grip actually started to change and the way he did that was quite impressive yeah it really was yeah it was um, yeah you looked at, uh, at Marquez early on and obviously there was that group of four with Rossi, Zarco and Petrucci um, and you, you, you kind of had the impression that Marquez was just there waiting for, for his time but yeah we, we saw a few uh, replays of him coming through the chicane basically having huge front end moments and yeah, the, the, the uh, MotoGP.com shared one little video, what was it, about five or ten seconds on um, uh, on Twitter, and you actually saw him basically uh, coming through the GT chicane, the final uh, the final chicane at Aston, and uh, he was, well, the, the front was completely gone, and yet he still sort of like picked it up and flicked it over and, and got through the chicane in one piece, but um, it didn't seem to, he, well, yeah, he didn't seem to be taking much notice of the laws of physics in doing so. <laughs> Just for a change for Mark then. Yeah. yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, so it was. So it kind of came became clear then that um, you know all wasn't uh, tickety boo, and he wasn't as strong as we we sort of thought he would have been. Um, and perhaps the lack of uh, you know the lack of dry setup time that we mentioned earlier was was a part to play in that. Um, but yes, he was. Uh, he, he really had no answer for Rossi and Petrucci in the in the sort of closing laps when the the rain came. And um, and Cal Crusso, as you said, David rode quite sensationally well um, to come up from fifth place. And I think he bridged the gap of maybe four seconds to mark in two laps, maybe. Um, to the stage where on the penultimate lap, he, he caught Davidozzo and, and Marquez in the battle for third. Um, picked Marquez off of the GT chicane and then, you know, realised soon that he had made a mistake. He thought he could have just, you know, sailed off into the distance and collected a, a second podium of the year. But in reality, uh, what he had done is showed Marquez just how, how much faster he could be riding um, in the, in those kind of conditions, in those tricking conditions, and uh, and Mark, um, you know, as he as he so often does, reacted uh, in quite spectacular fashion. Yeah, I mean, he's a, a Mark Marquez is a uh, is a very fast learner, and he um, uh, learnt the lesson which um, that Cal Crutchlow uh, taught him. I mean, afterwards, Cal said. Uh, uh, Something about him. He always thought that he was a that he was a really good poker player, but um, uh, the, this race he decided that uh, this was not the uh, not the case. So uh, he'll be keeping his money in his pocket in future, uh, uh, presumably instead of gambling it all. Yeah, I think um, what he said exactly was, uh, "I realised today that I would be shit if I was a yes. poker player." <laughs> yeah, quite in, in his quite. own inimitable style. That's right. And the, the, the other interesting thing that he said about when he was bridging the gap was um, uh, he was judging where the where the track was uh, good and where it was um, where it was bad. And he was pushing extra hard uh, where the, where the track was good and then uh, sort of coasting a little bit more through where the, where the track was bad. And the um, the thing with doing that was also it kept the uh, kept the temperature in his tyres. So by pushing hard when the um, track was driest, it meant that the uh, he had a lot more uh, temperature in his slicks. 
than and, and that carried him through the, the the wetter patches and gave him that little bit more grip. Uh, meant he didn't lose grip when the when the tires were uh, cooled down on the on the wet on the damper parts of the parts of the track, which was um, an interesting and very very smart strategy. I mean, Cal Crutchlow pretends to be a um, common man of the people who's um, uh, who's not all that smart, but he's actually a, a very a, a very uh, thoughtful and uh, analytical rider, which is to an extent why also um, he got the HRC contract he was given them uh, this year, and um, uh, the, he's been acting as a, a a development rider, a test rider for a while now. Uh, uh, he's been given lots of uh, lo- lots of stuff to test by HRC in helping develop the bike. You only do that if you if you're actually capable of thinking and analysing what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it wasn't just Crutzler that, that adopted that tactic. Jack Miller was just, you know, wasn't a million miles away from Crutzler whenever the rain started falling around lap 18, 19. Um, and Miller tried to, you know, I think Crutzler was up ahead in the distance and he tried to stay with him. Um, and he said he could visibly, he could see, he, at that point he was battling with Pedroza, with Alicia Spargro, and he could see them just, you know, lift off and uh, and it was astonishing really, you know, the, the kind of progress that uh, the Miller made, I think, Within three laps, he was something like fifteen seconds ahead of uh, ahead of Pedroza, ahead of Alish Espargaro, and and you know that's what you were saying there, David. As soon as you, pardon me, as soon as you let those tires cool down in any sort of way, it's really really difficult to get temperatures back up, especially on a cold track when it's raining. Um, you know, so although it might sound like uh, like total insanity to your eye. You know, the, the best thing really uh, to do in those conditions is to just forge ahead and keep going as, as, as quickly as you can because, yeah, the warmer the tyres stay, the more grip you'll have. And, um, yes, uh, I think backing off really can be uh, very counterproductive. But then, of course, that is so much easier said than done, you know. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, exactly, from- because, because you do, I mean, it, it takes a, a good deal of testicular fortitude to be able to do that. You have to, uh, you know, switch the brain off. Um, uh, go into the corner or pretend it's not damp at all um, and just hope that the tyres uh, decide that uh, they're going to bless you with a little bit of grip rather than um, give up on you and fling you into low earth orbit. So it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it the, the the logic of it is impeccable, but the uh, actually being able to do it on a motorcycle uh, travelling at high speed um, is a very, very different kettle of fish indeed. Yes, when rain is on your visor and on yeah. your windscreen. Uh, yes, absolutely. A very different thing indeed. Yes, yes. Uh, but but it, it was interesting because, um, you know, the, the Quetzal Marquez battle was fantastic on the last two laps. And Mark's move on Cal, fourth third place at the Ramshook, um, a couple of yes, corners before just, the finish line. Just was, outstanding. Yeah, absolutely outstanding. Just completely, um, uh, uh, it looked to me like uh, like Crutchlow braked a little bit early in, in the hope of sort of like, you know, closing the door again. But he he, he just left enough room for, uh, for Marquez to come through. And I mean, Marquez... Flew through um, uh, underneath him, and um, uh, uh, one of the fastest corners on the uh, on the circuit. That is absolutely terrifying. Yeah, and it was almost more impressive when we listened to Mark after the race talking about uh, you know having seen Vinales on his pit board. The fact that Vinales was out of the race knew that this would close the championship right up, and you know to an extent let Rossi and Petrucci go because he had had those few moments. Knew that it was too risky to try and follow them. 
but he was still prepared to take that that huge risk for the third place. Yeah, exactly. For was it two uh, two extra points? Uh, um, yeah, well, three extra points. Yeah, that's. Um, uh, but those three extra points with this championship, the way it is at the moment, with the, uh, this is, I think it's the closest the championship has ever has ever been. Uh, after eight races, every single point is is going to count this year, I think, and uh, it it could quite easily come down to uh, someone somewhere is going to fall off, get back on, and then finish 15th, and that's going to be the difference between winning the championship and losing it. <laughs> yeah, and I think as we saw at Silverstone last year, if there's one thing that acts as a red rag to to Marcus's bull it's uh, it's a satellite Honda uh, in front of him <laughs> there's something you just can't stand <laughs> exactly yes exactly Other, uh, uh, that's right if you can't win the race then you definitely have to be first Honda um, uh, it's absolutely unacceptable for someone else on the same bike to be uh, in front of it speaking of which they are now all on the same bike um, uh, we learned at Assen that everyone is basically on the same chassis now they've all gone with um, uh, basically the Crutchlow chassis mm. Um uh, even uh, even Mark Marquez. So uh, it, it, I mean, before Mark Marquez had a uh, a chassis which was insanely stiff at the front, and no one else was actually capable of using. Uh, but um, uh, this one, this this I think is a little bit softer. It's, it's the one which Crutchlow has been using for the past, certainly the past year or so. Yeah, since Silverstone um, last year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's interesting because initially this was uh, the chassis that Pedroza discarded. He tried it in Barcelona last year, didn't like it. It sat in the back of a an HRC garage for a couple of races before uh, Crutchlow tested it after the race in Brno. Um, and yeah, as you say, I think um, Miller and Rabat were given it at Valencia at the test uh, in November. They both thought it was a huge improvement. We spoke very highly of it, thought it cured a whole myriad of the front-end issues that they were having throughout last year. Um, and yeah, and, and it, it appears that that, um, rep, that you know the Repsol team or HRC has gradually talked Pedroza and Marquez into uh, to returning to it. Well, Pedroza to return into it and, and Marquez to adopt it. So uh, yeah, so you know it was it was quite interesting last year because you had you know Crutchlow, Marquez, and Pedroza all on different chassis and. I guess it, it's difficult to, to forge a development direction in those kind of situations. Um, whereas now, uh, yes, they're all in the same chassis and you imagine going forward as a kind of a group, as a collective, that must make development slightly easier. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's much easier to find a, a development direction when uh, when everyone's on the same chassis. Uh, you know, Jack Miller is riding very well, and so he's used, he's able to provide us some real um, uh, real input. Uh, Tito Rabat has also got got a little bit quicker. He's still a long way off the. Uh, uh, he's a long way from the other uh, the other Honda riders, but he's he's uh, you know regularly scoring points now, and actually looks looks more like a MotoGP rider. So this is also good for. Uh, uh, good for Honda because he 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 becomes useful again. Um, so yeah, I mean the, the 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 fact that Honda are sort of like more or less back in uh, they're back in a single uh, uh, back on a single track will help um, uh, because there were also the, the, this is important also because of some of the comments which Mark Marquez made in Spanish after the race. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
basically the, the sort of protocol is after uh, after the race, there's the official press conference, and that's broadcast live on MotoGP.com. Um, and then after the press conference, uh, usually the riders there will be available to have like an extra debrief with you know journalists from their native language. So Marquez was speaking to the Spanish journalists after the press conference. And uh, yeah, some of his comments were very interesting indeed. I just came across them uh, today. Um, but yeah, there was, a, there was a couple of very... Uh, you know, barbed messages to Honda there, um, where Marquez was basically commenting on on Rossi's new chassis, and he said that he could visibly see how much stronger Rossi was going into the corners, and that that has basically negated his his one big advantage uh, with the Honda, which has always been able to outbreak someone into the corner faster uh, than someone he was racing against. Um, so yeah, so it seems that Marquez was trying to, to basically say to Honda, look. Yamaha arrived at the Barcelona test with two new chassis for the guys to try. We didn't have anything new to test. You know, get your finger out. Um, and I think one of the things he said was, I don't expect big changes before next year. I hope to manage this situation, as in this year, in the best way possible. And let's see if next year can be a good season for us. Which is a, a, an incredibly strange thing for uh, for a, a man that's uh, sat 11 points behind the championship leader to say. Uh, yeah, exactly, because he, he seems to be saying um, that uh, basically... We're um, not good enough to win. Yes, exactly. Yes, yeah. we've we've given up given up on this year. We'll have to wait yet again for Honda to see, uh, see if they can actually provide a bike which is capable of being competitive. Um, it's not a... It, 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 it's, uh, it's exactly the same situation he seems to find himself every year which is not going to be it's not going to make him uh, a happy bunny is it yeah exactly um you know and, and you know honda have obviously brought this new engine into into competition this year and we thought that that was going to um sort of tame the hrc it was always been such a difficult bike to ride and this would maybe make it easier um and he's certainly consistent i mean you know you can't fault him he's, he's riding i think he's riding really really well um Mugello, yeah, he may have finished sixth, but that was a fantastic damage limitation job. Likewise, in, in Catalonia, you know, the fact that he was able to beat Pedroza in those temperatures um, when he had had, what, five crashes uh, before the race, um, you know, that was another really, really strong performance. Um, yeah, and, you know, yes, he has managed to sort of bridge that that gap. It was over 30 points, I think, a few races back. Now it's 11 or thereabouts. Um, you know, he's right in there. But at the same time... Um, I think he recognises the amount of risk that he's having to take yeah. to, f to finish in these places. And, um, you know, perhaps he thinks it's not sustainable. Yeah, I mean, it makes you wonder whether they, whether he's, whether he thinks it's really worth it. So, um, uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, next year once the contract negotiations start in full. You've got to, you've got to suspect that perhaps they've already started. Uh, but, um, yeah, does he, does he stick with Honda and hope they, they can build a bike again or, or, or not? Or, you know, do they, do, does he run off and uh, join, um, uh, does he run off and join a rival manufacturer? Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because I was, I was checking the, the crash stats from, from this year, from after Assen, um, and comparing them with the same stage last year. And, you know, I think we can agree that the Honda in the first part of 2016 was a bit of a dog. Yeah. Um, and at this point last year, Marquez had had, let's see, six crashes over uh, in, in during race weekends, um, which isn't really that high considering, you know, what his, you know, his propensity is for, for sort of falling. Um, this year, he has had 13 
Yeah. So so double. He's had more than double the crashes. Yeah. At, at this stage point, at the same point last year, and yes, he's he's been finishing well. Okay, he's crashed twice, but in the last few races he's been picking up points when he hasn't been able to win. Um, but you have to imagine that um, that there's definitely frustration there that he hasn't been winning more races. Um, and I'm sure he's in a very similar position to Vinales, where he can see the fact that his rivals are faltering and no one's able, no one's really able to get a, a kind of consistent footing in this championship. And that must be a real frustration to him because he thinks, like you know, if I had a a bike that was doing what I wanted it to do, um, you know, I'd be I'd be running off into the distance. But then, you know, Rossi's thinking that, Vinales is thinking that, so it's a, it's a similar situation for 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 those three guys. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yes, uh, ab- absolutely. That's the the Hondas at the front. There was also a, uh, a Honda much further uh, further back. And we talked about the way that Cal Crutchlow managed the temperature in his tyres um, uh, to allow him to come forward. Danny Pedrosa did the absolute opposite, and there were a few riders who had a bit of a um, uh, a bit of a mare at, um, uh, at Assen. Uh, all of them suffering more or less the 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 same issue, which was basically. Um, backing off, losing temperature in their tyres and then uh, deciding and, and, and chickening out or uh, almost. I think the first one was um, Joan Zarco, but uh, Zarco can probably be uh, excused because this was his first flag-to-flag race. Um, he was the first rider once he started raining to sort of dive into the pits and jump onto uh, uh, jump onto a bike with uh, with wet tyres. Um, also, because uh, in the morning, both he and uh, Jorge Lorenzo was the set was the next uh, next rider to do that. Uh, he did more or less the same, and they both said exactly the same afterwards, which was uh, during the, in the morning when they hadn't really been expected uh, uh, to, to expecting it to rain. There was, first of all, there was just a couple of showers and then there was an absolute downpour and it was absolutely soaking. Um, they were sort of expecting the same thing to happen at um, uh, at Aston. In fact, Zarko made a um, uh, an entertaining comment about it um, uh, when I said, well, you know, it's Aston. Quite often the weather just sort of blows over. He says, yeah, but, well, these were all Dutch marshals and they were waving the rain flag around, so I presume they knew what they were doing and they knew <laughs> that it was going to absolutely chuck it down. Yeah, and he also um, said that if it had rained more, I, I could have been a god, which is exactly. a great, yes. great quote. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, indeed, yes, indeed. He did use, he did say, yeah, from um, uh, from hero to zero um, uh, uh, for uh, for that race. But uh, yeah, he basically went into the pits, um, uh, changed bikes, and completely blew any chance of being uh, being competitive. He was just firing headlines off at us journalists. We were exactly just yes, that's lapping right. it up. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> Lorenzo did exactly the same thing. Basically, went in. Um, it it rained. He gambled on it being um, uh, on it being probably wet because. It, this was Lorenzo's worst qualifying since 2003. Yeah, Harris 2003, back in his one two five days. Yeah, that's a long time. That he it was a bit, a bit a long time since I started twenty uh, first again, just struggling with grip in 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 uh, sketchy conditions. Also because um, uh, the grip at Aston is really is fantastic in the dry, but as the track ages, the grip has got worse and uh, has got worse and worse in the wet. Um, so in the wet, it's a very, very sort of sketchy track, and that's it. That's precisely the, uh, the the conditions which Mr. Lorenzo is not at all happy with. Um, so as soon as there was the first sort of inklings of a little bit of um, uh, a little bit of rain, then the, that was it. He was straight back into the pit. He was back into the pits and onto a bike with wet tires. Yeah, sure. And I mean, you know, I think. Um 
we have to commend these guys for being honest because Zarko said, you know, he admitted that he was quite scared. I think Lorenzo yep. had mentioned several points during the weekend that he felt the same thing. You know, to me, how you could be doing what they were doing, racing on the slick tires when it was raining, how you couldn't be scared is beyond me. You know, so <laughs> I, think, I think it's entirely, you know, it's it's fine and it's fair for those guys to admit that. Um, but yeah, as you say, it was Zarko's first time in those kind of conditions. Um, and he assumed that it, it yeah, as you say, it wasn't. It was going to rain a little bit more, but uh, but Lorenzo, it it had been a really bad weekend up until yeah. then, you know, and the, the race sort of compounded that. Um, and you know, Lorenzo, I think was was making do with fighting with, you know, with guys that uh, you know maybe maybe are not quite on his level. Let's say, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, and, he, and, and he, he was he, he was trying he, to talk he, that up, you know, and it's just yeah, it it was. Uh, I think we saw the expression on on David. Tardotzi's face, yeah. the Ducati team boss, uh, on Saturday during qualifying, and you, you have to imagine that uh, the atmosphere in Jorge's side of the garage couldn't have been great um, as the weekend progressed. No, exactly. I mean, it was really, um, uh, uh, it, it was well, yes, it was a very difficult, but it was it was, it was a difficult weekend all around. Uh, even when it was dry on Friday, he was complaining about that he didn't have a, he didn't feel comfortable on the bike, which is how he ended up in uh, in Q one in the in the first place. And then when it rained, um, uh, he just had a completely dismal qualifying, um, uh, starting from twenty first, and then uh, he, the, the first, the, well, I suppose the first part of the race, he wasn't doing too badly. He was um, uh, actually sort of making reasonable progress. Uh, he wasn't setting the world on fire, but he wasn't um, uh, he wasn't going backwards. It's just that as soon as there was any sign of rain, that was uh, that was completely it. Yeah, but he was in yeah. a, he was in a distant twelfth before yeah. start racing. I'm just I'm just looking back at the lap chart now. Yeah, well, yeah. If, you, if you look from twenty first to twelve, if you look from twenty first to twelfth, is not bad, but still twelfth for Jorge Lorenzo should be. Um, uh, uh, he, he has no business being down that far. Yes, especially when a chap on a satellite machine, sorry, on the same machine as him. From a satellite squad is uh, is vying for the podium places. That, yeah, that, that really isn't that yes. really isn't good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we have to say with Pedroza, I mean, yeah, Pedroza suffered, you know, roughly the same fate. had a had a bad finish. Came home thirteenth um, for a guy that was in the the sort of the championship fight coming to Essen. Thirteenth is a really bad result. Um, but you know, we we know that because of Pedroza's weight. He finds it very difficult to get heat into the tires, um, and yeah, he he also admitted whenever the rain started falling, he he shut off and trying to get trying to work that heat back in was just uh, next to impossible. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I mean, uh, on Saturday he was saying exactly the same thing. He was saying, you know, it was really really difficult. Um, uh, he's tried all sorts of things, you know, changing his riding style, every all sorts of different permutations, but it just proves impossible for him to actually get heat into the tires, uh, and so. Um, yeah, he suffers. It's the one. It's the one conditions. Those conditions in particular are, are the conditions in which he suffers uh, suffers most of all. Um, because even well, if there's heavy rain and they send him out on soft wets, then at least he has a uh, at least he has a decent chance at it because the the tires work in a much wider uh, uh, operating window. But with the slicks on a sketchy track, he doesn't really stand a chance. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Right. Well, uh, when we uh, we shall take another quick break, and uh, when we come back, we will have a few words to talk uh, to say about Moto Two and Moto Three, and we shall go over our winners and losers of the weekend.
David Emmett here. Just a quick reminder, if you're listening to this show on iTunes, please remember to leave us a review and a and rate us, as it really helps other fans find the show. Thanks a lot. Bye. Well, welcome back. Um, well, there's there was plenty of action off track as well as on track in the MotoGP class. Um, uh, we thought, well, everyone's still sort of uh, recovering from uh, last year's epic silly season when there was lots of manoeuvring and uh, and discussing who would go where in the factory class uh, or on the on the factory bikes amongst the factory teams. Um, we have. Uh, We'd sort of forgotten that there are still a little, most of the satellite riders don't actually have a uh, have a contract for next year, and uh, that is starting to uh, hot up as we uh, as we approach the summer break. Uh, obviously, um, as we mentioned earlier, Cal Crutchlow signed the uh, his factory contracts with uh, with HRC. Uh, he stays on for another two years at uh, um, uh, at LCR Honda. Um, it was certainly interesting that he was given a uh, an HRC contract, but uh, again, I think it's because uh, the amount of input he has provided, the amount of um, testing that he's done for the factory. Yeah, you'd have to say it makes sense what we were talking about earlier with the uh, with the chassis. I think uh, the fact that the Repsol guys are now using that chassis is a sign that um, Kretzler was able to assess um, components quite well. Yeah. Um, uh, also, he said a couple of times, "Is you know, when you uh, what have you got in the uh, in the factory Honda team? You've got a uh, uh, well, you've got two freaks of nature. One uh, man so ridiculously talented that he could ride, uh, you know, a bicycle with square wheels and a moped engine and still win a MotoGP race. And you've got um, uh, another freak of nature who is uh, fifty uh, kilos. Did that's right? Who's yes, two foot six and um, and weighs three kilos uh, <laughs> and still manages to win MotoGP races." So yes, they've, it, it, the, the, neither of them provide uh, particularly um, uh, are particularly good at providing a baseline. And Cal Crutchlow is a human being um, who is capable of riding a MotoGP bike particularly well. Uh, but having an, an actual human being providing input um, makes uh, developing a more usable bike a lot easier. Of course, yeah. And then there's that experience that he's built up with uh, with with the Yamaha M1, also with Ducati. He knows how different MotoGP bikes work and is able to sort of give a, a rough sort of guideline on, on how a normal bike let's say uh, is supposed to act um, and, and and he's been quick as well man I mean you know look at uh, look at his results from um, from really this point last year yeah. and um, you know it, it's hard to say that uh, there's another satellite rider as good as him albeit you know that saying that um, after Petrucci and Zarco's recent performances yes I know but you know you still say Crutchlow's probably the you know the best satellite guy out there at the moment operating in MotoGP so uh, yeah so I think um, yeah we can we can fully say that uh, that was deserved yeah absolutely and if he hadn't fallen off so much then um, there'd be a very good chance that he would be a lot further forward in the championship as well mm, absolutely yeah 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 um, uh but and who else? Uh, who else has been uh, signing contract? Obviously, uh, uh, Morbidelli, uh, uh, Franco Morbidelli was announced. He'll be moving up from Moto Two, um, uh, joining the Mark VDS uh, squad, much to the surprise of Honda, who um, hadn't been told beforehand. <laughs> so, uh, um, uh, but yes, Mark van der Straaten decided that he was going to announce to the world that he'd signed uh, Franco Morbidelli. So. Uh, 
uh, announcement was made public before it was um, uh, uh, officially announced. Uh, uh, really, but that's that's when you're a a, a beer billionaire, you get to, you get to enjoy that sort of privilege. Yes, exactly. Yes, you get to call the shots, exactly. as, as it was. Uh, yes. Yeah, so Frank was coming up to um, to join. Well, someone in in the MotoGP class within the Mark VDS Honda team. We presume that that's going to be Jack Miller, although Jack is also mulling offers, we believe, from Aprilia and from Pramac Ducati. Um, but uh, the sort of indication, the indications he was given during the weekend in Essen is that his preference is to stay with Mark VDS. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, you, you have to imagine that he was a bit, he was a bit miffed that Crutchlow was given the HRC contract because in all likelihood he will not be offered a factory contract. He'll be offered a contract from RVDS just to ride Hondas in their team. Um, but I think Jack is savvy enough to know that he's still very young. He's still only 22 years old. Crutchlow has been faster than him. You know, there's no debate in that. Um, and, you know, just to, just to keep going with it um, because I think he, he's seen that, um, you know, the, the Mark VDS team, his side of it is, is working well operating well his results are steadily improving um, and he said to us on Sunday after the race that you know look at Crutzlow's results in the last year you don't need a factory contract to be fast so yeah. he also he, I think he said you know I'm really happy where I am so everything points to him staying um, with Mark VDS but that, that obviously hasn't been confirmed yeah I, I, he's been uh, talking about wanting the best possible package um, uh, now there may be better packages uh, on Alpha but there is a lot to be said for stability for staying in the same team having the same crew chief having the same people around you yep. uh, having the same bike it's less it's all less to learn and it makes it a little bit easier exactly and I think it's it's worth pointing out that Jack is a new crew chief for this year uh, Ramon Orin a guy that worked with Danny Pedroza was Danny Pedroza's crew chief for the past two years um, and they've they've quickly forged a really good working relationship and um, and, and he really likes the, you know Orin's method of working uh, his means of communication um, and you know I think he's opened up Jack's, Jack's eyes to little setup tweaks and little sort of bits of advice that have given him a better feeling um, I think Ramon has definitely gained Jack's trust gained it very very soon into their working relationship and um, you know I think that's going to play a factor in his final decision yeah absolutely um, you mentioned the um, uh, Aprilia uh, obviously there are still it, it still seems like Aprilia are trying to hire all sorts of people. They'd spoken to Jack Miller. They'd also st spoken to Danilo Petrucci, whose um, stock is rising rapidly. Uh, they've also talked to Alvaro Bautista. So there is a lot of uh, the, there's a lot of they're definitely fi out there fishing um, uh, fishing to see uh, see what they can get. Sure, and then there were obviously the rumours in Barcelona that they've been speaking to Andre and Oni as well. Um, so yes, yeah, so we heard. We believe that they had offered Petrucci quite a handsome sum of money to go and, and ride for them next year. Um, but certainly but, a lot more than he's earning at Pramac. Yes, exactly. Yes, but because um, right now he is these bargain of the century. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, for sure. Um, but you have, to, from what we've heard, it seems that Daniel is going to stay and sign on to stay with Pramac um, in 2018. Yeah, again. Yeah, and you'd have to imagine Ducati, you know, Ducati would be stupid to let him slip away um, at this point, you know. He's proved his worth to Ducati. Um, uh, he fits in well with the team. Um, he, he, he just has everything around him to succeed. And I, I think uh, also with him being on a Yamaha, or, well, sorry, also with him being on a Ducati, getting success, um, he can... Uh, 
as he said afterwards, he could taste the he could taste victory. He could taste victory, and that will really made him want to uh, to succeed. So I think that's uh, uh, it's a sign that he's more likely to stay where he is because he knows that uh, that uh, he can actually win on this bike. Yeah, sure, exactly. And perhaps, you know, it's a, it's like Miller, it's a case of him wanting assurances from Ducati that maybe he'll continue with the same level of machinery in 2018. You know, maybe he wants an assurance that he'll have the same equipment as Davizioso and Lorenzo, um, like he does now. Um, you know, and it's also, you know, um, Petrucci's working with Daniele Romagnoli, uh, Cal Crutzlo's crew chief from his time at uh, a Monster, um, sorry, at Tech 3 Yamaha. And his year with Ducati in 2014, you know, Romagnoli's a really, really clever guy, um, really, really good at breaking things down, making them, making it simple, um, and a very pragmatic way of working. Um, so, you know, you have to think that that's also going to play into, um, into Danilo's thinking when he is, uh, is pondering his options. Um, yes. Alvaro Bautista is the other the, the other rider who has um, who has choices to make. Again, um, uh, Aprilia are interested, but um, uh, he would really like to stay with uh, with the Aspar team. To an extent, it's going to be about money, but also about sort of the ability to have a competitive uh, the competitive bike. And Bautista has shown that you know he, he he can be competitive on on the package he already he already has. So um, uh, the Ducati has become an attractive uh, an attractive package. Hmm, absolutely, yeah. Uh, I mean, Bautista was uh, also saying to us that uh, he didn't expect to, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't been thinking about it. Um, uh, he's not going to think about uh, making a decision until the summer break. So I think um, there'll be, uh, obviously, clearly at the moment, it's managers who are talking to uh, to people, but they're not uh, actually coming back to talk to uh, riders and or the, 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 to talk to their riders about making a choice it's not the riders who are actually sitting down and thinking about their their futures that's going to happen after the action ring during the summer break they'll sit down look at their options start making the decision and I think once we get to Bruneau we could have a, a few more announcements to be made mm, absolutely yeah yeah um, but yes yeah, certainly very interesting um, yeah and yeah and then there's obviously the, um, the Ian on the issue I mean Everything we've kind of heard points to the fact that Suzuki isn't happy with Iannone, Iannone isn't happy with Suzuki, and that is possibly another uh, domino, if you like, uh, that yeah. could fall and, and needs to be replaced, you know. So this just another option to, to sort of take into consideration, perhaps. Yeah. Suzuki might be looking for another rider as well uh, for 2018. Yeah, yes, exactly. And the question is, who do they put there and who's going to be available? And that's the difficult thing. I mean, the other thing is that, you know, Ian Oney has not really sort of lit the world, uh, set the world on fire on the Suzuki. Um, he, to put it Sorry? To put it mildly. Exactly. And you have to suspect that uh, people are looking at the Suzuki and thinking, uh, well, it was Maverick who, that was quick on the bike, and not so much, and not so much the bike itself. And and th- th- there are uh, a lot more attractive um, options on the table. I mean, you know, the, the, a GP sixteen looks like a better a, a better option uh, than a Suzuki, and a, and, and a GP seventeen looks um, uh, absolutely fantastic. Let alone a GP eighteen, if you were lucky enough. But I don't. I think it's we're only going to see the factory bikes or the the factory team and uh, and Danilo Petrucci get a GP eighteen if he stays at Pramac so um, uh, but yeah you'd choose a GP17 over a, over a Suzuki sort of you know any uh, day of the week and that's going to be a problem for them yeah but on the other hand you know you could have a factory salary you can lead a factory's development you could be the lead rider of a factory yeah off a bike that was finished on the podium just a year ago 
several times won a race just less than a year ago. I mean, yeah. that, that's also, you'd have to say, quite an attractive proposition. Yeah, yes, it's a, it's an attractive uh, it's an attractive uh, proposition. I think the question is: Do um, uh, are Suzuki willing to put in the effort and the uh, and most especially are they willing to spend the money to turn it from a uh, turn it from a machine which is uh, nearly competitive to one which can actually uh, win uh, regularly with uh, uh, with just about any rider on it. So we shall uh, we shall have to wait and see. Right, well, uh, we need to turn our attention to Moto2 and Moto3 because those two were absolutely fantastic races. Start with the first race of the day, Moto3. It was an absolute it was an absolute cracker i mean it's as, as simple as that it looked like um first it looked like we had a, a bit of a breakaway of uh, uh, five or six riders um uh, then the group uh, uh, grew to what about 10 or 11, 11 riders 11, 11 yeah. there you go um uh it was well it was absolutely insane and exactly what we uh, what we pay our money for to watch uh, to watch moto 3 <laughs> It was, yeah. It's worth noting that, that Sunday morning wasn't the smoothest uh, for for a lot of people. Um, a lot of gentlemen from the fourth estate. Uh, you know, there was a new access route. Uh, it took some time to get into Assen, and a lot of very grumpy people were were trudging into the press room slightly later than they had anticipated. Also, it was raining. Um, I remember our website crashed uh, just before the Moto3 race so you know things were uh, not not good um, they were they, they were not running the, at all smoothly yes, yeah, that, exactly. that's right prior, yeah, but then you, you watch a Moto3 race as good as that and, and suddenly everything is running the world again you know and it was it was fantastic it was absolutely great um, yeah 11 riders I think going into the the last sector more or less together and we saw Joanne Mayer the guy that's been leading the championship and been lighting it up um, making really one of his his first you know, sort of big notable mistakes of the year and um, just, you know, running it very wide, uh, coming out of turn 10 and you didn't really know what was happening, what he was trying to do, whether he was trying to let someone through just so he wasn't leading into that final kind of stretch so he could overtake them as she came, but he made a real mess of it. And I think he was pushed all the way back to ninth in the end. Um, and yeah, the, the is there a finer side of motorcycle racing than, uh, the, you know, 11 bikes piling into the ramshook left before the chicane. Uh, it, it really is something to behold. Yeah, it, absolutely. I mean, I spoke to, I think you're right, there, there was a lot of uh, people jockeying for position because it was uh, it was all rather difficult. I spoke to both John McPhee and Bo Bensnyder at, um, uh, at Aston about, okay, so what position do you want to be in before the uh, uh, going into the final chicane? And uh, the, the, neither of them could really give a, a good answer. They were saying, well, you know, where the... Uh, 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 you really want to be sort of about that. You want to be in the top five. You want to be about third. You don't necessarily want to want to lead. But then again, the the, the bloke who was leading it last year won. So um, it was uh, um, it, it. I think that final chicane turns into a little bit of a, a little bit of a lottery. Certainly turned into a lottery for poor Bo Bensnider, who um, uh, um, got a bit of a clip from Gabriel Rodrigo and uh, was knocked off his bike and then slid across the uh, slid across the line. And separated from his bike, not giving it, meaning he didn't even have a chance to uh, uh, to uh, officially finish the uh, finish the race. But um, uh, afterwards, he was quite pleased because at least he'd been competitive and he'd led he led the race in front of his home crowd, which was uh, always uh, always a, a great feeling. Um, in the end, it was Aaron Canet who came out on top with uh, again just a really really solid and 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 and, and mature uh, sort of last couple of laps. 
Yeah, yeah, he was fantastic, and he was the guy that sort of bridged the gap from uh, from the second group to the leaders. Um, and you know, he was three or four seconds down, I think, at one point, and he he basically dragged uh, guys like John McPhee, uh, Gabriel Rodrigo, um, all the way forward to the front uh, and made it that kind of absorbent eleven way fight. And he managed to keep his cool right at the end, you know, and uh, his second Grand Prix win coming after Hareth, another last lap dogfight. Um, you know, um, Canada is showing uh, that unlike the man he beat, uh, Romano Fanati, that he is rather good at, at keeping a really cool head in those uh, in those last lap scraps. Yeah, exactly. And also a really strong, um, uh, strong finish for um, McPhee. Um, Obviously, I, I mean, I, I, I spoke to him on Friday night at, uh, at Aston, and he had a fairly miserable uh, position in um, both. In, well, he had a miserable position after Friday, and he had a miserable position after qualifying as well. Um, uh, and yet, he still managed to uh, latch onto the tail of uh, of Canet, uh, uh, get into the front group, and ended up with a with a podium. And um, he came away with an awful lot of uh, self confidence, I think. With yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because it had been a, a difficult couple of races for McPhee. Um, Mugello aside, he hasn't really um, been in the mix at the front uh, since Austin, or sorry, for, since Argentina, since the second race of the year. Um, and you've kind of noticed that <clears throat> the tracks that uh, don't have a great deal of heavy braking areas, you know, kind of like Mugello, like Aston, more flowing tracks like uh, like Qatar even, and. Um, and Argentina, McVie's been right there, you know, when he's got a nice sort of flowing track that um, doesn't require crazy late braking all the time. Um, he is really as quick as anyone. Yeah. Um, but it's just, um, it, it, yeah, in Barcelona, he was talking about encountering some issues, stopping the bike, and that it really held him back. And, you know, we, I guess we have to remember that this is a new team, you know, a new group of people working together, uh, working with a new bike and a new rider and all the rest of it. So, um, you know, for him to... To nearly be halfway through the season uh, with, I think, three podiums to his or three podiums to his name. Yeah, it's pretty good going, I would say, for John. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, the Moto Two race was the last race of the uh, of the of the Grand Prix day, anyway. And uh, normally, um, uh, Moto Two is our time to take a little bit of a nap. But um, if you were taking a nap through this Moto Two race, you were clinically dead. Yes, exactly. It was. Uh, it was one of the best Model 2 races we've had in a long, long time. It was a real yeah. hark back through, it really harked back to the, the glory days of Moto 2 with uh, Ian Oney and Espargaro and Marquez um, yeah, and knocking, uh, knocking lumps out of each other all throughout the, uh, throughout the weekend. Yeah, yeah, it was wonderful. It was just great because, um, you know, usually, I think we've spoken about this before, you know, Moto 2 is one guy setting the pace and two or three guys frantically trying to stick with this person and you don't see a lot of overtakes earlier in the race. It's usually, you know, at the very end that if there is uh, a group of guys, you'll see some sort of overtaking. But this was just six guys battering each other, you know, the whole race long. Uh, not one person could get away. And you kind of had the, the cream of the field really there. Uh, yeah. You know, that you, what you would, you call the, the top six guys in the championship um, all there, all taking turns at the lead, taking turns to, you know, sit second and then maybe drop them back. And it was just fantastic. It was really frenetic, really interesting. Um, it looked like Tom Luddy had just about timed it to perfection. Um, and what would have been, I think, a really big win. Um, you know, he'd, he'd clawed some, some, uh, some ground back on uh, Franco Morbidelli in the, the previous two races. Um, but uh, but Franco was just a wee bit too strong and a wee bit too smart for him in the end. Uh, made a fantastic last lap pass. Um, 
I thought he went too early, actually, because I think he made a pass at, uh, on Ludi at turn nine. Um, and he basically banked on the fact that he was stronger in the final sector, uh, especially through the, you know, the fast left and then the chicane. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he just strode on. And um, although Ludi came very, very close, um, he, you know, he rode really, really well. I think that was maybe Franco's best race uh, that we've seen. The second half of that last lap was um, uh, a, a real object lesson in just self confidence. Um, he was riding superbly, but he was confident that he could uh, that he could do it all the way to the line, and that was uh, that to me what was uh, what was most impressive about that. Um, uh, again, fantastic uh, 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 ride for Luti, and I think Luti now has had um, yeah, it was seven podiums. Yep, seven podiums yep, more which than. Is yeah, yeah m- m- the m- the most podiums or uh, m- the most podiums he's ever had in a season. Even that was including the season when he was uh, when he was one two five champion. Oh really? Yeah. So, oh wow. Yeah. Okay. So wow. Um, uh, well, someone told me that I haven't checked it, and I'm prepared to <laughs> I'm prepared to believe it. It's def- but, definitely uh, the most podiums he's had in Model Two anyway. Yeah, that, yeah absolutely. Sure. Uh, yeah. And uh, just you sort of like get the feeling this uh, this. Uh, Luti believes that this could be his year and so um uh it's just um uh, he's riding really well and it's and, and it's turned the it's turned the championship into uh, in, into quite an exciting uh, championship it certainly sets it up for um uh, the Saxon ring because the Saxon ring is another track where we have um a lot of uh, we've had some fairly exciting races yeah for sure absolutely yeah and and although Ludi's not the kind of guy that's going to go out and win seven or eight races in a year He's shown this year that even when he has a bad weekend, he can still pick up third places. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Franco had that crash in, in Hereth and he had one or two duff results uh, also. Um, so, yeah, I think I think Ludi's going to be in it for the long haul. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he, he's really shown that, he, uh, that uh, you know, he can, uh, uh, he can make the difference when he needs to. So, um, uh, yeah. The fantastic race, really, really enjoyable. Um, uh, last again, you know, we, if we had a last lap drama in uh, in uh, uh, Moto Three, we also had in Moto Two with um, uh, Mattia Pasini um, cutting the corner outrageously at um, uh, <laughs> two laps in a row. The final shit. Yes, that's right. Yeah. It, well, yeah, yes. I think if he hadn't done it the first, on the penultimate, uh, penultimate lap, he might have been excused a little bit on the um, uh, on the final lap. But the final lap was pretty great. I mean, Taka Nakagami put an absolutely fantastic pass on him uh, uh, to get in front of him, um, uh, going uh, going into the chicane, and that uh, he basically took the position that uh, Pasini wanted to take uh, wanted to take, and left um, uh, Pasini with nowhere to go. Uh, perfectly clean and. And legitimate pass, but um, uh, Pasini just picked the bike up, uh, cut across the uh, the the chicane, and uh, gained about half a second. Yeah, it was as though he had been binge watching the uh, the Rossi Marquez last night <laughs> in 2015, and just you know had that etched in his mind. He had to. That was exactly the protocol he had to follow. But the only thing was that you know when Rossi did it, 2015, he, he could kind of argue that you know his front wheel was still in front of Marquez, and there was contact which forced them wide. Whereas I think Nakagami had just actually passed him. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean Nakagami, Nakagami had got got um, uh, had got through cleanly and was in the position that uh, that Pasini 
Pasini uh, had wanted to be in. You know, he was on the line that uh, that Pasini had wanted to be on, leaving him no no point but to sort of run wide. Whereas um, Marquez just punted Rossi into the gravel and uh, never even got past him. So it was a, it was a it was a very slightly different uh, slightly different situation. So yeah, yeah. Um, and, and then we, and, there was a proper Italian strop afterwards oh, yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah, it was wonderful. You know, it was. And can we just commend Pasini for doing the you know the. Uh, the most roundabout kind of 180, uh, you know, change in, in, you know, his attitude, because obviously there was this wonderful Italian strop in Pitley and afterwards when he was told that he wasn't actually going to be going to park for me. And, you know, That's just, right. in- including he, the, the, the full repertoire of Italian arm signals. Yes, exactly. He was almost, uh, he was almost giving out his team for not being as outraged as him as, <laughs> as he was. Yeah. But then I saw today on Twitter, they had written, you know, oh, you know, I just want to thank Taki, you know, for a great battle and he fully deserved a third place. And yes, yes, ob- yes. Obviously, he had uh, he had, had some time to reflect, and uh, yeah. Or else, or else he's had some he's had some words whispered whispered in his ear by his uh, <laughs> by his manager, which seems uh, slightly more likely, but it's <laughs> graceful nonetheless. Exactly, yeah. But uh, you know, Pacini's a guy, man. Like he crashed, I think, in the first three races, and you know, from two of those, I think, in two of those races, he was holding quite good positions. You know, he was and he was. He started badly and he was trying to make his way towards the front. And if he just hadn't, if he had just, you know, finished a fifth or a sixth in, in either Austin or Argentina, he would be right in there as well, you know, because he's been riding really, really well in the last couple of races. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's great because, you know, it's it's the Pacini we sort of know from the 250 yeah. days. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, uh, well, one last note, uh, Miguel Oliveira, uh, fifth place within, uh, what was it, six-tenths of the uh, uh, of the win. Um, uh, the KTM project, really. I mean, the, it, it, it's obviously still sort of uh, up and down. Oliveira is clearly just an absolutely fantastic rider. Um, uh, but the KTM project, um, uh, you know, they got on the podium at Jerez. They're uh, uh, decent at uh, decent at Assen. You know, a really strong finish at Assen. The, the that bike looks to be pretty much uh, pretty much competitive. Yeah, I think it was Argentina Day where they had the podium. Uh, no, it was it was Assen. It was Jerez. I just checked. Oh, Oliveira. Oliveira. Oh, well, wait a minute. Did I press the right button? I think. Oh. Okay, no, yeah. so, no. sorry, 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 you're right, you're right, absolutely, yes, sorry. Of course I'm right. Sorry, David, sorry, <laughs> apologies, <laughs> I take that back. Uh, yes, yes, yeah, no, fantastic from Oliveira, um, yeah, he perhaps, yeah, no, I think he's doing a, a really fantastic job um, for, you know, on that chassis. Yeah, and, and, the, and the, um, the fact that the, the, the chassis is competitive is um, um, is very positive Um uh, you know, first year eight races in, and uh, we've had a podium, and and uh, and this again was a was a, uh, a finish close to the podium, so uh, it promises much for next year. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you have to imagine that he's going to be uh, starting 2018 as a firm favourite, one of the firm. Well, I'm yeah, assuming what? Alex Marquez is going to stay along yeah. with Marquez. Yes, the the two guys to be probably. Absolutely. Um, uh, it's that time of the podcast again, Neil. Um, yes. uh, it's it's winners and losers time. Sandra so, Clarkson. Yes, indeed. <laughs> indeed. Um, uh, winners, who will you be holding the chequered flag out for um, uh, at this particular race at Aston? Yeah, I think we might actually be on uh, on some shared ground this week, Dave, because uh, I'm going to opt for the gentleman that won the MotoGP race, uh, Valentino Rossi. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue with it, really. I mean, you know, he's 38. Um, uh, he's had a 
he's, he's had this is now the longest winning well this is the longest winning career of uh, any uh, any rider in the solo classes over 20 years between his first and his last uh, and his well last it's probably not going to be his last which is even more astonishing his latest win um he knows how to win races he knows that how, how to um, how to lead a championship it's really it it's really hard to argue that um, this wasn't Valentino Rossi's weekend yep absolutely and also you know we always know he's a very streetwise character and he knows how to get under people's skin but you have to imagine that um, there's been a good deal of, of, of mind games going into the last couple of weeks with uh, with the selection of the new chassis um, with you know trying to just upset Vinales apple cart try and take a bit of wind out of his sails and he's done that he's done just that you know Vinales has had two disastrous races and um, you know and, and you have to think that Vinales or sorry the, the Valentino's just got into his head a little bit you know um, yeah. yeah I mean it's you've, you've got to imagine there's going to be plenty of gloating in the uh, intervulia at the moment with uh, you know he's, he won the race he won the um, uh, the internal uh, Yamaha battle uh, uh, in the garage and um, uh, he is is just three points behind his uh, his teammate and and seven points behind Davicioso. So it's um you know it's all open again. It's uh it's it, it's been really well. Yeah, this is uh, Valentino Rossi comes away smelling of roses and no mistake. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, you know also the fact that just this was, um you know I think if if we had to compile a list of Rossi's you know top ten, uh you know wins in, in Grand Prix racing, this would. Been certainly knocking on the door of that top ten. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This was this this was definitely one. Is I mean, you know, we've got 115 to choose from, but this is um, this is right up there at uh, uh, at the top for sure. I think we get we have to give an honourable mention to the track because um, uh, before every race or race weekend at Aston, everyone slags the track off and saying it's just a shadow of what it used to be, uh, and then afterwards everyone comes away from Aston saying, you know what, it's still a fantastic track because uh, um, uh, and it is. It, it's still a fantastic track and it produced three spectacular races yes says the man who's wearing the the, the dutch tt Aston t-shirts <laughs> so sitting in his living room in uh, in I, the netherlands I, I i i cannot i can neither confirm nor deny that i am actually wearing orange underpants um right well those them's the winners how about the losers who's your uh, who's your loser for this weekend uh, well i'm going to be entirely unoriginal and go with maverick vinales because uh, not only did he uh, did he lose the championship lead, uh, he threw away a, p- a potential podium at the very least. Um, had he played his cards right, he probably could have won this race. Um, he certainly showed on Friday that he had the speed to win it. Uh, he messed up qualifying quite badly. Um, and yeah, he's sort of wearing a... You know, continued mask of uh, exasperation, which, um, yeah, which doesn't really, yeah, it just it's shown the last two race weekends that it hasn't really paid off. You know, he he seems a bit um, a bit fed up with life and a bit a bit confused with uh, with how everything's going and panning out. Um, it's clear that you know Maverick knows that he is the, you know, he's as every rider out there thinks. You know, he's the fastest guy out there and and he should be winning every single race, but it's not quite working out for him at the moment. But. Um, yeah, and uh, you know he, he kind of tried to shrug it off. He said he, he didn't know why he crashed. He said it was the strangest crash of his life. 
and then in the next sentence said something along the lines of, uh, you know, I was absolutely on the limit. Uh, in fact, yeah, exactly. I, was, I, was, I was pushing myself over the limit to, yeah, try and, exactly. to try and reach the front group. So uh, that kind of explained what it. Yeah, happened. exactly. That's right. Because normally, no one ever crashes when they're riding over the limit. It's only ever when they're sort of riding well within themselves that they fall off. Uh, so yes, I, I would. Uh, I, I could. Um, I can very much see your point there. Yeah, um, and, and also just the fact that um, you know, two races ago he left Mugello, and he rode really intelligently there and accepted second place. Uh, his championship lead was over twenty points. I think he was more than 30 ahead of Marquez things were looking really really good and suddenly in two races that's all gone yeah absolutely I mean he looked like a, a couple of races ago we already penciled his name in for the championship and now um, uh, that is uh, uh, that is absolutely not the case mind you right now we're not penciling anyone's name in for the championship we'll be leaving that to uh, till Valencia probably um, I that's definitely a, a choice that I like um, uh, who would you I, choose David who is your loser of the weekend I would have to go for uh, Jorge Lorenzo because um, he <laughs> Things are just up and down for him all the time. But he, he just had a miserable. He just had an all-round miserable weekend. He didn't feel comfortable on the bike on uh, uh, on Friday when you know on a high grip track, a track he likes. Um, he should be able to actually make the bike work. Uh, they were going to try some stuff to to fix it on Saturday, and then on Saturday it was the 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 weather didn't uh, didn't cooperate. So um, he had his worst qualifying of the uh, since two thousand and three, as we said. You know, starting from twenty first. Um, uh, uh, came out came out reasonably um, during the race and then um, uh, as the first spots of rain he hurries into the uh, into the pits to jump on a bike with wet tyres which was completely the wrong choice um, and uh, he then has to watch Danilo Petruccio compl- uh, Petrucci uh, complaining about um, not quite winning the race. He sees Andrea Dovizioso, his teammate, uh, leading the championship. Um, things are not going at all well for Lorenzo. The thing about Lorenzo is he's... he's um, there are some races where he's um, where he does really really well and looks really really strong, and others where he's just absolutely abysmal. So it's just um, uh, uh, I think he's in a um, uh, I think he's in a very difficult situation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it was it was quite far and away his worst weekend of uh, of the year so far, um, and in some ways it was just like watching uh, him struggle last year um, yeah. at, the, at the same track. And, and you know what what is What's not good for Lorenzo is that we're going to the Saxon Ring uh, in a few days, and yeah, the forecast isn't exactly glowing, um, so it could be much the same there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I'm, I'm good. it's going to be fascinating to watch uh, to watch the uh, the Saxon Ring because uh, they've resurfaced the track, so it should have an absolute shed load of uh, grip. Um, uh, but if it's wet, we don't know how it's going to react, what it's going to be like. Um, we don't know what the Ducat is going to be like around there. Um, Yes, it's, it's going to be difficult to see. Um, I think I'm going to uh, give you that one, though, because, uh, I mean, uh, Lorenzo has been in a difficult situation for a while, um, uh, and he certainly had a miserable weekend. But Maverick Vinales, uh, I think, um, uh, managed to not only um, uh, have a bad weekend, but managed to do it entirely to himself with uh, uh, with uh, with no one else to blame. So uh, I think I will have to give that one to you this, uh, this week. Yeah. Right. Also, it's also worth saying Maverick uh, crashed five times uh, all of last season, uh, and and he's already reached that number this year. Um, yeah, with his fall, um, 
Yes, with his fall uh, at Aston in the race. So yes, not 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 great for the uh, for the young Spaniard. No, exactly. I mean, he seems to have uh, come to the season with the expectation of being uh, being champion uh, and forgotten that there's all this hard work stuff that you have to do in between <laughs> to actually make it happen. Yes, uh, but I certainly won't be writing them off. Uh, no, just just yet, just yet. Absolutely, a hundred percent not. He's made of strong stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Right, well, that's uh, that's it. I shall be uh, heading off tomorrow morning, um, riding into the rain at uh, the Saxon Ring for um, uh, for the German Grand Prix. I'm quite looking forward to it. You're going to consider uh, continue sweltering in the Barcelona heat, I believe. Yeah, I'm very grudgingly having to sit at uh, the Germany. The, pardon me, sorry. I'm very grudgingly having to sit the German Grand Prix out this weekend. So uh, yes, I shall be watching from uh, from uh, my sweaty lair. Yeah, you're right. Well, yes, you should be producing your own water, whereas I will be. Uh, uh, I will have the, the the weather gods throwing it down on me in bucket loads. I'm going on the motorcycle, which um, always sounds like a great plan until it starts pouring down. Um, uh, but it's still, it's a beautiful part of the world. It's uh, it, it, it's a great race. It's a great event. So um, uh, still looking forward to it. Before, despite the knowledge that. Um, uh, 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 the waterproofing I've just done to my motorcycle gear is not going to um, it's not going to make a <laughs> the slightest bit of difference and I'm getting absolutely blooming soaked yes well, right well you. thank you very much Neil yes, and thank you very much David I hope to speak to you in a week's time where we shall be discussing the events of uh, hopefully an extremely eventful um, and exciting uh, race at the Saxon Ring and thank you listeners for listening um, if you are not following us on Twitter, then you need to do that uh, at Paddock Pass Pot. Uh, alternatively, you can check us out on our uh, funky Facebook page, facebook.com slash Paddock Pass Podcast. Um, we are available on all of your favourite uh, podcast slash iTunes type uh, distribution platforms. Um, make sure you uh, give us a rating and a review. Uh, that will all give us a warm, fuzzy feeling inside and make us feel good about ourselves. Uh, but much more importantly than that, it will also uh, help other motorcycle racing fans uh, who are desperate for um, uh, <laughs> chat between two blokes about motorbikes um uh, find their uh, find some entertain find some entertainment and a way to pass an hour of an evening so make sure you do that rate us on iTunes uh, uh, and elsewhere and we hope to speak to you soon thanks and bye uh so i have to do the presenting well, you know, you don't have to, but... Yes. All right, I shall do the presenting. I know my responsibilities. Yes, well, I was just thinking that, you know, I'm not going to be at, uh, at the sax ring, so therefore... You're not? The oh, yeah, that's right. So it would be better if you did the presenting then, wouldn't it? Yes, exactly. Yes, and I also did the, the presenting last time, so... Yeah. Yes, we like to have uh, a symmetry to these kind of things, don't we? We do indeed. Yes, here at the Panic Pass podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're an equal op opportunities <laughs> podcast. That's ex that's exactly that's exactly it. Exactly. That's yes. right. Yes. We allow both um, uh, both uh, thin, hairy men and fat, bold men to uh, present the <laughs> Paddock Pass podcast. Yes, exactly. Yes, to, yes. Th our statues may be different, but our uh, but our uh, our, our worth, our worth uh, yes. is the same. Our worth is the same, and also exactly. uh, yes, our. Uh, 
our temptation to to derobe in front of a, a webcam <laughs> in the evening is is also quite high. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The chances of uh, of uh, of seeing us naked in front of a webcam is fairly large. <laughs> yes, exactly. I hope my mum isn't listening to this. 